he would never have been he would never have been elected. Um, but uh, I don't know. I leave that to people who know better. So, all right, Romans chapter five here, verse number eleven. We we come to this verse, uh, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. This verse has uh, carries a lot of controversy with it, and uh, yet when we see when we looked last week at the context, uh, which is verse nine and ten there and so forth, then really there is no controversy. And where the controversy rests is in the word, the, the translators translated uh, the word atonement rather than reconciliation or reconciled. And uh, it's the same Greek word. Uh, those Greek words, I'm not going to try to you know, say it, but it, it, they are the same Greek word. But the, the translators, at the end of verse 11, we have now received the atonement. And uh, that's really, and as we, as we go through this this morning, hopefully you'll see that that is the appropriate translation. And where back in verse 10, where he says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, he shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Obviously, they know how to translate the Greek word reconcile. But then that can all, they also translated that Greek word atonement. And so that begins to have a, a great debate about that from the critics, really, of the King James Bible. So we're going to look at this issue here. If you'll just remember where we're at, we've been talking about verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have. And we've been talking about the issues of, of the things being justified, we have. We have peace there with God. We have access by faith into this grace. We, have, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, verse 3, we're going to glory in tribulations because we know something about tribulations. So Paul takes us in, in the walk of the edification of the believer. In Romans 5, we're a young believer. We're not, old, we're not, we're not Ephesians ground. We're in Romans ground. And he, he's moving us to the next level. And he says, hey, you, this is what you have because you're justified. Here's what you have. So we got peace, we have access, and then he takes us up into the glory, the hope, and then he brings us right back down to the tribulations of the nasty now and now because he says what you have to have is the divine viewpoint about the tribulations. That's why in verse 3 it says, not only so, but we glory. We found value. We look for the worth in the tribulation also knowing. So there's some things about tribulation that we're to know. We're to know uh, that they're going to work, Patience, experience, and hope. And then those, and, and then verse 5, hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So we've got this walk issue here. We've got this movement here of information that is, is taking the believer all the way down through. Then you come to verse number 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 where he introduces the Principles of right division. Again, new believers moving. Here's some principles of we were, verse 6. 
Verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved. So there's a, there's a movement of, of getting in our thinking the, the concepts and the ideas of were, pat, uh, were past, now present, shall be future. But you'll notice in verse 9, much more than. If you look in verse 10, in the middle there of that verse, much more. Now in verse 11, and not only so. So he's adding protection. He's adding layers here. And in verse 11, we have, uh, by whom we have now received, we have here a present possession, <laughs> you know. We're not, we're not working to get it. We're not, we're not trying to live a good life and a clean life to receive it. No, we have it. And not only so, verse 11 it, it, the, the, it's, you know, it's exciting to be a part of the eternal glorification plan of God. And that's what, he's been, that's what we looked at last time there in verse 9 and 10 about being saved from the wrath through him, and then in verse 10, by his life. So the issue here now in verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy, so there's a, but we also, there's another level here. There's another, another thing of protection against the issue of wrath. And that's the issue. You'll notice verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom. So there's a, there's a further cause to rejoice here. There's a further cause to have joy Notice it's by whom. It's through a person. He's the source of our joy, not our circumstances. You know, we're talking a minute ago about the football game yesterday. You know, that circumstance brings great joy because they won. Alabama wins. But that's not the source of my joy because that game's over. Next week, they're going to play another team that may be a different outcome. So now I don't get joy in that because my team's going to lose. My joy is by whom? My joy rests in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, we now, we have now received the atonement. Now, when you get into verse 11, we have to remember the context, and we just kind of walk down through it, but the, the immediate context is verse 9 and 10, where Paul there says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Again, not, as Paul not only introduces the concepts of right division to us, <clears throat> that then he introduces this concept that while we were appointed to death, that's back there in verse 6, while we were without strength, ungodly, verse 8, sinners, verse 10, enemies, while we were appointed to that as Gentiles were, now what, now what are we? Now being justified, being now, verse 9, justified by his blood, now we're what? Saved from that. We're saved from that appointment with wrath. And we looked last time over there in, in, in 1 Thessalonians where he says you're not appointed. It's not even on our calendar. And I put the calendar up, you know, the, 
the 70th week, the 70 weeks of Daniel and stuff, we did that on the board. And we're not even, we're not appointed to that. We're, you know, you know, the day on our calendar is the, is the, is we're, the calendar for us is we're the children of the day. So it's daytime right now. On, on God's calendar, nighttime's the tribulation, troubled time. We're not, we're not the children of the night. We're the children of the day. We're the children of not darkness, but light. So when we talk here in verse 9 and 10, we today, Gentiles, body of Christ, members of the body of Christ, are saved from wrath. And Paul here again laying out the case about what basis can God say, you Gentiles who were ungodly, without strength, aliens, no hope, without Christ, without God in the world, how can he say to those people, you're not appointed to wrath now? How can he do that? How can he say you're not going to go through the 70th week of Daniel? How can he say that? Why? Being now justified by his blood. Well, you're saved from that. You're delivered. You've been delivered. That 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, delivered. It's past tense. It's done. And just as God, look back at chapter 4. Chapter 4. You always have to remember this. I, I, chapter 4, look at verse 17. I, this verse is, you know how you read verses and you just read, you don't catch stuff, and then you read it and you go, oh, wow, I never saw that before. Look at Romans 4.17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, talking about Abraham there. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, now watch, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. In God's mind, all this is done. In our mind, it isn't done yet. (laughs) You know? No, I, the end of verse 17 struck me about a year ago, reading it, going, look at what, look at God. God calleth those things which be not as what? As though they were. In God's estimation, in God's view, where are we? We're already seated in the heavenly places. We're already glorified. We're already up there with him. Now, in our reality, where are we? We're stuck down here in a COVID mess. <laughs> you know, the sin-cursed creation. We're not there yet, but in God's estimation, where are we? We're already there, see? And that's what's happening here in chapter 5 when he says, hey, how, when Paul's laying out how can God take Gentiles, justify them, which we already saw in the court, one, Romans 1 to, 5, 1 to 4, He's the same righteousness that condemns man in chapter 1, 2, and 3, turns right around and justifies man based on faith, the end of 3, the rest of 3 and 4. That now, how, now the same God comes up and says, you guys that were appointed to death, to wrath, are not appointed there. How can he do that? Well, it's done through him, and it's done by his life. And we looked at that through him, his personal involvement, his, by the word of the Lord and his word, his coming back, 1 Thessalonians 4, to get, to get the body. 
And then by his life, there's his resurrection life, the glorified body. So we get a, what are we, what are we promised? A new body. So we have two mechanisms that guarantee we will never see a day, an hour, a moment, a second of wrath, the 70th week of Daniel. And again, I'll remind you, Paul says wrath. He doesn't say Jacob's trouble. He doesn't say uh, the Lord's day. He says wrath. But it's interesting, John the Baptist says what? Wrath. That's all John the Baptist says. So in Scripture, wrath is the same wrath. It's all of it. And I know what happens. People go into Revelation and they pull out man's wrath, Satan's wrath, then the Lord's wrath. And they they make it all. And you know what? John the Baptist looks at those guys, Matthew 3, and says, "Who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He doesn't say man's wrath, Satan's wrath, Lord. He says what? Wrath. Paul says the same thing. So guess what? It's all of it, see? And it's not the tribulation back in verse 3 because that's now. Shall be saved from wrath through him. That's that future event. We looked at that. So then the atonement, verse 11 now, another layer of, so you've got, one protection, the personal involvement, one guarantee, I should say, one layer of protection, the guarantee of his word through him, the him personal attention, the Lord himself shall descend and come and get us. Then we have the issue of by his life, the resurrection life, the, the glorified body, the new body. Now we have a third issue, and it's the atonement. And the atonement is the basis where God can say, all of this, where he can look at the Gentiles and say, if you trust by faith, you trust the shed blood of my son, I will take care of everything else. And the issue of the atonement. So we now, by whom we have now received the atonement, we now enjoy the benefits of atonement. And that's where the problem comes in with the critics of the King James Bible. They begin to say that, there's, that that word should be reconciled rather than atonement. And again, he's, the translators understand how to translate the Greek word. They do it two times in 10 with the word reconciled. Then in 11, they switch to atonement. That ought to raise and say, okay, why did they switch to atonement? What's going on here? So some, the critics will say, well, it's really a writing technique. To, you know how when you write, they tell you don't use the same word over and over and over again? So they just switched it up so you would, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Others will say, well, it is, a, it is the same Greek word, So it's a bad translation. Some will say it's not a bad so much as a bad translation, it's really a doctrinal error. Because atonement, the Old Testament doctrine of atonement, describes a temporary condition for the Old Testament saint. Because the day of atonement was every year, so it's temporary, it's conditional. 
And the word reconcile, reconciliation, describes the permanent condition of the New Testament saint. <clears throat> Sorry. No, not at all. We're going to go back to Leviticus 16 here in a minute, and guess what? That is not the case at all. The issues of atonement and reconciliation are intertwined, the words I'm talking about, in Leviticus 16. All right? Then they will say, well, it's really not, (laughs) this one cracks me up really more than the doctrinal thing, is that they made the word up. The King James translators invented the word atonement. The problem is, is the word atonement was used several hundred years prior to the 1611 and the translation, you know, committees. <laughs> it's there. It's in, in, the, in, in the record in secular literature and so forth. In verse 11... The key word in there is by whom we have now. The key word is now. There's something here that the translators believed that the Old Testament doctrine of atonement, got to get something in your mind. Come, uh, Come over to Colossians 2 just real quick. Because when you think about this and kind of try to think this down through, when the translators use the word atonement, they understand some stuff doctrinally that's, been, that's going on. Colossians 2, look at verse 17. Well, okay, verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in a respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a, what? Shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. The doctrine of atonement in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of what? Calvary, the cross, the second coming, the new covenant, okay, specifically. And when you come in 511 and he uses the word atonement, they are describing, they, they believe that the Old Testament doctrine of atonement has been fulfilled in the one great sacrifice at, at the cross, at Calvary. So the foreshadow has been fulfilled, therefore we now receive that which was foreshadowed back there with all the sacrifices and everything, we now receive that now. So when you look at this issue, the King, your King James Bible, your King James translators were not just a bunch of dummies. They really weren't. They understood doctrinally quite a bit. Maybe not every little nook and cranny that we do, but they made no error here in translating the word uh, reconciliation. So guess what? They made no error in translating the word atonement either. They're causing you to, when you read that, I don't know if you've ever read through Romans 5 and go, atonement, wow, that's a different word. What was that about? You know, reconcile, reconciliation, you know, justify, and then boom, atonement. So 
in 511, it is a doctrinal issue, not a translation issue. It really is, come back with me to Leviticus 16. It really is a, an issue that Calvary and, and, and it is a fulfillment of the issue of atonement. And that all those sacrifices of the Old Testament were foreshadows of the real deal. We know that, by the way, in Hebrews. Don't we learn in Hebrews? Well, actually, we learn it from Paul, but we read about it in Hebrews, that the blood of bulls and goats didn't get the job done, but yet what did they have to go do? Sacrifice the blood? Because Calvary did what? Calvary fulfilled all that pretense, all that foreshadowing that they did. You follow that? I I hope you do, because that's really the linchpin in this is that when the translators translated atonement at one meant, they understood that Calvary and the revelation given to Paul specifically, we're going to see it, is giving and defining what happened at Calvary is a fulfillment of the Old Testament doctrine of atonement and that the foreshadow has been accomplished. Now, in Israel's case, now again, this is we're talking about us the body of Christ. In Israel's case, the day of atonement is yet future. They, don't, they have not received it yet. That's why that word now is so critical. We have now received it. We got this now. Israel has to wait for it still. Okay? All right. Leviticus 16. <laughs> I hope so. All right, Leviticus 16. Um, by the way, that word at one meant um, definition wise is just exactly that. It's to be at one with someone, being at one. You know, it's defined for you. Leviticus 16, Moses lays out uh, the doctrine of atonement. If you look at verse 6, and Aaron shall offer his bullock, Aaron, the priest, okay, shall offer his bullock of, a, of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. Drop down to verse 16. And he, he, that's Aaron, shall make an atonement for the holy place. So there's this issue about atonement and the sacrifices. By the way, look at verse 20. Verse 20. And when he hath made an end of, isn't that interesting, reconciling, the holy place. You see how atonement and reconciling are interchanged. One is not temporary and the other permanent. They're both going to be of a permanent nature here. So you have reconcile and atonement as being interchanged. So you can't say that atonement is temporary and reconciliation is permanent when they're the same. So you got to be careful. Now you're in Leviticus 16. Go back up to verse 1, because this is the connection over in chapter 5 of Romans. What did we learn that the context of, of, of verse 11 sits in, verse, in Romans 5? The context is about wrath, and atonement is going to be connected to wrath. Remember, 5-9, saved from the wrath through him. Verse 10, saved from the wrath by his life. Now watch 16.1. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, 
when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times in the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with the young bullet. And then he lays out the high priest activity on the day of atonement. But what I want you to see is in verse 1, after the death of the two sons of Aaron, come back to chapter 10. The issue, chapter 10, verse 1. You remember Nadab and Abihu? 10.1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense therein and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. The institution of the Day of Atonement in the Levitical order with Aaron is coming off the heels of wrath being poured out. Okay? So wrath against Aaron's two boys, chapter 10, 1 and 2, is poured out. And the next thing you see in 16, 1, and, and the, whole, the whole of chapter 16, what do you see him doing? You see him doing the Day of Atonement in connection to what? Some wrath over here. You follow that? They're, they are connected. So when you come back to chapter 5 of Romans, guess what you're going to find out? Paul connects the two together as well. He says, listen, you and I, members of the body of Christ, are not going to see the day of judgment, wrath, the 70th week of Daniel, we won't see a second of it. We're going to be long gone way before it ever shows up. And how you know it, one, is, is because it's through him, his personal attention, his, his word on the matter. Two, it's going to be by his life. And then three, it's by because we have now received the atonement. We are at one with God. We're not at odds with God. So guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to go through the wrath. Folks, that is great eternal security. It's wonderful to know that in, in, in God's estimation, you and I, as members of the body of Christ, are secure on three things, his word, his life, and, his, and the atonement, because we have now received the atonement. That's fantastic. So when you come back into chapter 5 here of Romans, reconciliation is the effect where atonement is the cause. And we have to be careful. Atonement is the cause of sin being dealt with. Calvary dealt with sin. Where reconciliation is the result of it. Reconciliation, to restore a relationship that's at odds, okay? You and I were at odds. That's why verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How We're his enemy because of Calvary. Now what are we? His dear son, his dear children. We're in the family now. So reconciliation, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, um, atonement is where the cause of sin is being dealt with. And reconciliation then is the result. So since the cause of sin has been dealt with, 
Only then can we now really enjoy a reconciled status where our estranged relationship is over with, where we are at one with him. And honestly, that goes back up there into verse 1 where he says we have peace with God. We don't have wrath. There's no wrath. So the atonement removes the very obstacles that precede the issues of reconciliation. And again, the the linchpin in it is that word now. We now enjoy something that, that we, we enjoy that reconciled relationship because the atonement took care of it, okay? And again, atonement is connected with wrath. So we've got three layers of protection here that guarantees us that we will never see the 70th week of Daniel, okay? That's fantastic. So when you look at verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy, boy, what joy, (laughs) What joy that is to know that, you know, I know we look around at life in the moment, but that's the tribulation up in verse 3 and 4 and 5. Man, to know that we'll never face that indignation because he's already taking care of it for me. We now, with the revelation given to the Apostle Paul, we can now look back and we can look at that foreshadowing We can look at what the Old Testament was teaching, that foreshadow was teaching, and then we can say, we can then look over and and, uh, we can enjoy it. We can rejoice in it. And we can say, you know what? We don't go through that 70th week of Daniel because we have the atonement. And we understand that Israel has to go through the 70th week of Daniel because they have yet to receive. The, the atonement. And you understand that by looking at the book of Hebrews. Come over with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7, we'll start in verse 26. Hebrews seven twenty-six. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Obviously, he's not talking about Aaron. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? But Aaron, the high priest, Leviticus 16, what does he have to do? One time a year, he's got to break the veil, go in, he's got to sprinkle, you know, and what's crazy about that is he's got to do it seven times. He's got to do it seven more. He's... And, you know, could you imagine going, one, two, three, four. Oh, man, I forgot where I was at. <laughs> and start over. Can't do that. You're dead. You have to be right on. Because if you mess, you know, they, they tie a rope around you to something, drag you out because nobody can go in. That's why they got bells on everything so they can hear them jingle and all this stuff. Why? Because they walk right into the presence of the Lord, the Shekinah glory. I, can, I, I read that stuff and they got to do seven this and they got to do, and 
What happens when you miscount? Was that six or seven? Oh, okay. Oh, good, it was seven. Whew. I'm still here, you know? You just, you think about how you and I would think about that because that's what Aaron is. He's just a guy. That's what the high priest was, was people. You know, it's so wonderful we don't have to do that, you know? <laughs> did I bow seven times or did I miss one, you know? Verse 27, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. So we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? The, the high priest. The high priest, again, one time a year, goes in, sprinkles the blood, does it for himself, does it for the people. But that activity didn't do anything for the, the ultimate issue. Look over at chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 4. And we understand that. We understand that from uh, the revelation given to the Apostle Paul. One time a year they did this, but they did it what? Every year. 10.4. Hebrews 10.4. 10.4, good buddy. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So what did they do? One time a year, up they go in. That activity didn't deal with the real issue. But God comes over and what does he said? Remember Romans 4, 17? He looks at those things as what? As if they were done. See, when they go in and they're offering that sacrifice, what is God really looking at? He's looking at the believing heart. And he says, you know what? We'll by forbearance, Romans 3. I know Calvary's coming. This will work for now. But you have to do it what? Every year. You have to. You can't miss a beat. What did God know? The real lamb was coming. So God operated on the basis of a future event. That's the atonement. The atonement holds a temporary effect here in the Old Testament because the permanent payment was where? Still future. Come over to Romans or Hebrews 8. When Paul shows up with the completed revelation about the Calvary, and he, guess what? We, we, body of Christ, by the way, the body of Christ is made up of who? Jews and Gentiles, sinners, okay? We now receive the atonement. The very event that all that was doing back there, the foreshadowing, the, the typology, the pictures of all that has, was accomplished at Calvary, you guys, we get it now so that we don't go through the wrath, we get up out of the way, but Israel has to do what? They got to go through it because that atonement issue doesn't show up to them until the second coming of Christ. Hebrews 8, Hebrews 8, verse number 10, Hebrews 8, verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, watch now, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind, I will write it in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, 
from the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and be and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant. He, uh, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxen old is ready to vanish away. So we have the new covenant here. But notice God's, the, the new covenant, what's going to happen in the new covenant? Verse 12, he's going to be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. By, and by the way, sins and iniquities are, two, are different. They're listed different because they're different, all right? And iniquity is sin, yes, but, it's, but sin sometimes isn't always iniquity. They're different, all right? The point is, is God says, I'm going to do something after the impl- implementation of the new covenant. Look in verse 10. He says, after those days. Well, then what are the days? What days are you talking about? Come back to Acts chapter 3 then. Acts chapter 3. The writer of Hebrews is well aware of the prophetic program. He's part of the prophetic program. Paul didn't write Hebrews. Just, there's just no way. So in Acts 3, watch Peter, 3.19. Again, the new covenant is what's going to implement the issues of the atonement for Israel, but it's going to be after those days. Acts chapter 3, look at verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. All right? Acts 3.19. In Acts 2, verse 40, he just told them to get out of the untoward generation. 3.19, he says, you need to repent and you need to be converted. You got to get right, Israel, you need to get out of that old, that apostate generation over there and get into the little flock. You do that by going through John's baptism and so forth. Why? That your sins may be what? You want your sins blotted out. Notice it's not right then. When do they get their sins blotted out? When the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ. That's second coming. He's already gone. Acts 1, he's already ascended. Peter looking at him saying, listen, you guys want to have your sins blotted out. You need to get over here, get out of that untoward generation, get into the little flock, the believing remnant, and because when he comes back, guess what's going to happen? He's going to blot out your sins. The day of atonement happens. The time of refreshing. That's the presence of the Lord. That's the second coming. He's like, you guys, that's after those days, the days of wrath. He's going to come back, and you got to be ready. Come over to Romans 11. Romans 11. Folks, 5.11 says we have it now. Romans chapter 11. Romans 11. We have have what Israel's waiting for. (laughs) That's the point. They're they're in a holding pattern. They're waiting for the return of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. When the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, 
They're waiting for that. Paul looks at us and says, you guys got it now. And then in Romans 11, talking about Israel, verse 25, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. That's Israel's condition. Blindness, in part, temporary. It's not a permanent situation. It's a temporary thing until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. What triggers the end of the temporal situation is when the church, the body of Christ, fulfills its, its duty. It's fulfilled. It's filled up. It's, it's completed. When you run that out of Zion comes the deliver, and that's second coming, that's wrath he's pouring out. That's Isaiah 59. It's all back all through back there where he's going to come out and he's going to deliver Israel from the Antichrist and the satanic policy of evil. Verse 28, I'm sorry, verse 27, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. When's he going to take away their sins? After he comes back and delivers them out of and turn away ungodliness from Jacob. When he comes down there, and what does he do? He deals with the adversary. The Lord, uh, verse 27 there, for this is my covenant. What covenant would he be talking about? The new covenant. When does he take away Israel's sins? As concerning the God, when, when does he do that? That's the new covenant. That's yet future for them. Come back with me to Daniel chapter 9, where we were last week, put up this timeline, but just notice something in Daniel 9. You see, folks, Paul says, we have it now. We're not waiting for the atonement Israel is waiting for the atonement. And what is in front of them is wrath. And when the wrath is over, they'll get their atonement. We're getting our atonement before ever seeing wrath. Wrath is that little linchpin in there. Look at Daniel 9. Look at verse 24. 70 weeks, Daniel 9, 24. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Seventy weeks of, of years, so seven years, okay, makes a week, upon, determined upon thy people. So who, who is the thy people? Israel, that's Daniel's people. And upon thy holy city, that's Matthew 5, that's Jerusalem. Now watch. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Do you see that issue there about finishing the transgression, making an end of sins and make reconciliation for iniquity? That's the institution of the new covenant Those is, is how that is all accomplished bringing everlasting righteousness, there's the setting up of the kingdom. Sealing up the vision there and prophecy, there's the completion of it, of the program. And to anoint the most holy, there's the new heaven, the new earth issues. So Daniel says, listen, guys, you know, God looks at Daniel. Come back there to Romans 5. God looks at Daniel and says, Daniel, Daniel says, Lord, 
it's time to go back into the land. We've been 70 years outside the land. Daniel 9 there, the beginning of that chapter, he lays out on the national confession, does what Leviticus 26 says they have to do, has the national conf uh, uh, confession for the nation, and, and, and the Lord lets him go, and then he says, okay, Daniel, come here a minute. I'm not going to put a dirty people in a clean land. we got to clean the people up. So we're going to go 70 weeks of years. We're going to go 490 years here to clean this people up. And then we're going to go over there and get in there. So right now that land's clean. The people are just a mess. 69 weeks stops at the end of the, uh, with, with Calvary there. The Lord extends it. We looked at this last time. The year of their Acts. And yet, what is happening? The people are still what? Still unclean. Because they, they haven't gone through wrath. They haven't gone through the 70th week. And when they do that, guess what happens? The dross is pulled out of them. The rebel is, they're cleaned up. And when that happens, now he can come back. In his second, when the Lord's second coming, there's, there's a bunch of things that he's accomplishing. One, the fulfillment of Scripture. That's the big one. But then the, part, the institution of the new covenant is there as well. Because when he ends his, when he gets done with his second coming, goes down into Jerusalem, goes up, defeats the Antichrist up there, the, 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 valley, uh, the Battle of Armageddon and all that, gets all that done, comes back in, when he comes back into that city, he's then instituting the new covenant so that he can do what? Forgive the sins of and their iniquities, write the laws in their hearts so they'll operate and function properly. There sits the believing remnant, resurrects them into that, the, the Old Testament saints and the, those that had died during the tribulation, institutes all that stuff we read about in the book of Revelation about the temple and the new and all that, gets that thousand years going, but he's got it all. Is he's, he does it all there with his second coming? Paul says, verse eleven, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Rather than argue and say that it ought to be reconciliation, we need to appreciate the use of the word atonement. Because we are at one with God. And that is much more than being friends. Remember, they're his friends. That's much more than being allies or brothers. Or that is being what? Bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We're at one with him. We're not waiting to have our sins dealt with. It's done. We are not interested, and we are immune from going through the wrath. And again, what great eternal security that that is. Okay? Now, we got just a few minutes before the end of the hour. Come back with me to Leviticus 23. In the foreshadowing and the fulfillment and the types and the pictures... In Leviticus 23, Israel's uh, religious calendar, their religious life calendar is given to us. It's given to Israel. And it starts in Leviticus 23. Actually, it's the whole of the chapter, okay? 
Leviticus 23. And if you look there at verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation, ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord's, even the holy convocations which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. And the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. The 14th day of the first month, Abib or Nisan, as it's called, we, it's our April If you, when you work it out. The 14th day, what day is that? Passover. What are they going to do? They're going to go out, they get the lamb, they watch the lamb, they kill it, they eat the whole thing. They don't leave any leftovers, and they, they, the Passover. So what do you see? The death of the lamb, right? Okay? Then verse 6, On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unto the Lord, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So on the very next day, what date? now we have unleavened bread. There's the burial. Sin has been, is dealt with. It's buried. It's unleavened. It's carried away. See that? Now, verse 10. Speak unto the children of, the, of Israel and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give you and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. There's a resurrection. First fruits. He's the firstborn. It's all done, victory, boom, it's over. Now, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits have all been fulfilled at the cross, Calvary. It's all been done. Now, they continue to do these feasts in in their religion. The Lord did, Passover. Peter and the guys in Acts, they're doing it. They do the feast, but the fulfillment of it is what? Done, okay? Now, let your eye run down to verse 16. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number 50 days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. You see that thing there about 50 days? That's the day of Pentecost, Penta, 50, Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, what do we learn in Acts 2? The day of Pentecost was what? Fully come. The day of Pentecost has been fulfilled. It's done. With the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the work there. All, so the first four feast schedules have been fulfilled, completed, done. See that? Now, Let your eye run down and on over to verse 24. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month and in the first day, Leviticus 23, that's where we're at, okay? Uh, Shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. So now you have the day of trumpets, all right, A a few months later. A memorial of blowing of trumpets. The trumpets issue is the it represents the regathering of the nation of Israel. You go to Numbers 10, you go back in there, run that through. The regather. You know what? That has yet to be done yet. 
When does he regather the nation of Israel? After the tribulation is over, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. He's gathered. They, uh, Acts 8, we looked last time, they're scattered abroad. They're scattered. They go through the 70th week. Then he's got to go out there and what? Gather them back up. Verse 27, also on the 10th day of this seventh month. So the next week, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and ye shall, now watch, afflict your souls and an offering made by fire unto the Lord. The day of atonement in that second coming, the day of atonement. The new covenant, it affects, it, 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 it afflicts their souls. It gets them. Then chapter, uh, verse 34, speak unto the children of Israel, saying the 15th day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days. Tabernacles, there's the kingdom, where God says, I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell, will dwell together. Tabernacle, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacle are yet to be fulfilled. Passover, unleavened, first fruits, there's Calvary, Pentecost, there it is, all done. By the way, those are spring feast. Trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles are fall feast. They're yet future. So when you come back here to Romans 5, don't let the critics say, no, it shouldn't be atonement, it should be reconcile. Appreciate the word atonement because that is what secure, is one of the, the, the pens that keep us from having to go through the 70th week of Daniel. It keeps us on this side because it, the issue of atonement comes on the other side of wrath. When does Israel get the atonement? After the 70th week, after, during the second coming events. Well, if we have it before that, then we don't have to go through the wrath. There's no reason for it, Okay. All right, Romans 5. We'll pick up now in verse 12. And actually, we're going to spend next time going 12 to 21 because we're going to talk about two guys, two men, Adam and the Lord. And we'll just bounce them back down through these. So we'll pick up a little steam and catch some things here and, uh, and so forth, okay? All right, Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everyone that's here for the study and the desire to look into these things. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we'll see you at 11.